When our best fur friends leave our world, many of us are left wanting one last scritch, one last hug, one last walk together. One Last Network is a space for pet guardians to honor their pets in their senior years and to cope with the days leading up to and after their passing. Here's your host, Angela Schneider, founder of One Last Network and Big White Dog Photography in Spokane, Washington. Hi. Thanks so much for listening to One Last Network. In today's episode, I chat with Kate D'Annunzio, a senior partner and chief change officer at Helios Consulting in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Kate travels all over North America, training, coaching, and supporting business owners and corporate leaders in the area of change leadership, communications, and team development. I met Kate almost 15 years ago in Calgary on, of all places, Twitter. She is a dog lover and quickly gravitated to posts about my boy, Shep. Good morning, Kate D'Annunzio. How are you today? Good morning. I'm fabulous. Thanks. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on One Last Network, where we are dedicated to supporting pet guardians um, whose pets are aging and getting ready to cross the Rainbow Bridge. You, uh, You and I go way back. Um, so I want to get started with you telling me your favorite memory of Shep, because we talk about this every time we talk. Oh, my favorite Shep memory. Um, that would have been Christmas, the year that we we hosted an orphan Christmas here at the house. And the orphans included you and Shep. And oh man, he was so big and he was so comfortable here here like I mean he got along with my dog just beautifully the two of them were just buds they and by buds I meant they ignored each other consistently and uh yeah I think we were sitting at the kitchen table and I turned around to see him just kind of raise his head onto the counter and like try and grab the turkey and pull it his direction Um, (laughs) it's like oh for me thank you thank you lovely there was a there was another Christmas I spent as an orphan um, and we were sitting in the living room and uh, having our, you know, turkey dinner on our laps kind of kind of dinner. And uh, and somebody said, hey, where's Shep? And I said, oh, no. And we all went into the kitchen. There was about five of us. And there he was two paws up on the counter enjoying the turkey. And uh, I was the only one who had seconds. I don't know why. Well, um. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast is your expertise in change management. Can you share with us what exactly that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So change management is, it's, it's really a process. I mean, we all go through it psychologically. We all experience change and we all have very, what, what would be classified as very predictable outcomes, right? And when you're thinking of um, the end of life or you're thinking of a grief process, there are different stop points, if you will, in terms of what we'll feel and what we'll experience. And it's no different in the in the paces of change. And as we're preparing for an end of life journey, or as we're with an aging pet or a family member, we, we will experience these types of emotions. And so it's really just understanding that something is changing and knowing that you have to manage it in order to be successful and to take care of your own mental health and well-being. Yeah. Um, a grief researcher, William Warden, he um, he's, has defined four tasks of mourning. 
Um, and the third task is to adjust to an environment in which your loved one is missing. And that's really um, one of the things that I wanted to explore with you. Um, there's such a tremendous change in our lives when someone passes or our pet pets pass. Um, you know, especially with with dogs, um, they're such routine animals. You know, and and we adjust to a routine. A lot of times, we wake up, we feed them breakfast, we take them for a walk, we pick up their poop, we come home. We might go to work. I don't. Um, you know, <laughs> we come home, the tail is wagging, we feed them dinner, we hang out on the couch, you know, belly rubs, all the things. Um, and then one day that's gone. Mm -hmm. And I know you've experienced that too. What's that like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have experienced that. My, my Nikki was with me. for. Oh, oh pardon us. Miss Bella would like to say a few words. Who's you, ma'am? Our sponsor. <laughs> uh, it's a given with our podcasts. There will be dogs barking in the background. How beautiful is that? It's wonderful. I can, I can, I cannot go a day without hearing her voice. Oh, my girls are very high pitched. You would not feel the same about theirs. <laughs> <laughs> They're very shrill. I tell them all the time. Nobody likes their voice. Not even their mom. Um, <laughs> Back on track. So the, um, you know, in, in terms of that process, it really is, it's, it's a readjustment process. And I did, I had my Nikki for, uh, 13 years, rescued her from a shelter. She was very, very attached to me. We had a lot of separation anxiety. Um, we moved a couple of times together. She was, um, my daughter, Ruth's first friend and Ruth still grieves her actually. I mean, she's been passed now, um, seven and a half years, her ashes still sit on our mantelpiece and her stuffed animal with her collar still sits on the mantelpiece. Um, but the immediate realization that she was becoming, uh, more frail was pretty hard on us as a family. We, we, we struggled with that, but we saw it coming and the compassionate thing to do with an animal that is suffering. And that is losing a battle to a disease or aging or what have you is really to, um, give them the final gift of peace and serenity. And, um, when we did that, it was, it was a very, very hard and a very challenging day. <laughs> it was, it was a challenging day. Um, and it was Easter. Oh. So we were about to leave town and Nikki had been quite sick and we had been sustaining her with medication. I was, we were hand feeding her, carrying her up and down the stairs to go to the bathroom. And then she would pip up and what have you. And so it was, um, it was really heartbreaking to make that decision. I remember phoning the vet. She gave me her personal cell phone number. Um, and we made the appointment and we, we went in and um, Ruth took her for her very last walk. And we had a new puppy at the time that we had kind of onboarded to the family to learn the ways of Nikki. And that's how we've always trained our dogs in terms of helping them fit into our family and allowing our process to really flow is we actually, we, we see those things coming. We see our pets slowing down. And so we preemptively plan for that so that we have that peace and comfort. And maybe that's, for us, it's, it's, uh, it's something that we have, have done as a family and have seen great success in our grieving process, because now what we have is we have this little pup 
who has the same mannerisms and behaviors as our old dog that just passed away. And so when we onboarded our newest member of the family, she now actually carries traits of Nikki and doesn't even know why, because Liberty has taught her that we keep our feet very clean. Like, I mean, so clean. We have to lick our feet 22 out of the 24 hours a day clean. Um, but even things like how they sit, how they stand, the, the little baby dog, her name is Justice, who has never in her life interacted with Nikki, does a cheesy grin. And that was something that Nikki did. And so it, 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 for us, the, that replacement process was a really big key component of being able to allow her to live through these other, these other pets. Um, the immediate after effect of losing her was painful. It was so hard. She had been with me through so many things, thick and thin, um, marriages, divorce, babies, moves, you name it. She was there and was that one constant companion. And for Ruth, it was very challenging because Ruth was only about nine years old at the time when we had to put Nikki down. And I remember uh, she had her iPad and this was, I mean, this was before it was hooked up to date or anything like that, but she had this little iPad in the car with her. She was too young to stay at home by herself. So she had to come with us and was sitting in the car with Liberty. And she wrote an email on her iPad to heaven subject Nikki. And it was this beautiful email to heaven for our dog saying, I sat out in the car and I was crying and um, Liberty and I sat together and Libs didn't get to say goodbye to you. And I'm going to miss you and everything that you've done for me. And it was just like out of the mouths of babes, I'll send it to you because I screen captured it and I carried in my favorites. I've never deleted that picture. And, you know, we went on a family trip that weekend and our family actually grieved with us. And, you know, this is it is that, you know, when you're a dog person, the people around you generally are dog people too. And we had that community surround us and we had hugs waiting from our parents when we got home and we got to be little girls for a few minutes and grieve that loss. Um, but innately what we did was we took the time to remember her and we took the time to celebrate her much like what you would do with a person. And I think that, you know, we had been sharing updates on our social media about her declining health. And so people were devastated and heartbroken with us. And, you know, for, for what it was worth, we, we had this new puppy. So our routine really didn't change all that much because we had put it in place to the point where we knew that that predictable behavior was going to happen. And we wanted to continue on with this journey of having this little critter to love. Um, one of the things we did for Ruth through her grief journey was we put a piece of paper up on the wall and it said memories of Nikki. And what she did was she drew um, lines and numbered it like one to whatever. And whenever somebody would come to the home for the first couple of weeks after the dog passed, um, she would invite them to contribute their memories oh. of Nikki to her list. And that still hangs on our wall. It has not come down. It is this ragam tagum piece of paper with faded ink and all of these beautiful memories of what this dog brought into our lives. Wow. Right. 
you know, so we really, we took the time to really memorialize her and to really respect and love everything that she had given to us. And I found that what that did for us was it allowed us to feel what we needed to feel in order to heal through our grief process and in order to reestablish and wake up and say, okay, well, I still have this little puppy that needs to go out and still needs to go for a walk and still needs the poop picked up and still needs the ear scratch and still needs to be fed. Right. So we had, like I said, planned for that, but had we not had that, I think we would have felt a really giant chasm of emptiness that we would have had to fill in a different way. Yeah, I, I am very concerned about my husband when Bella's time comes, mm-hmm. if we don't have another puppy to help us through the transition, because, um, you know, losing Shep was hard enough, um, but Bella is his dog. I mean, she's my dog, but, um, yeah. you know, this is his first dog that he's had from puppy to through adulthood. And it's, I think it's going to be rough. Mm -hmm. It was, it was very hard on, on Aaron with Nikki. I mean, uh, and, and I think for her, it was, that was the first animal that she'd had that was as interesting. Like Nikki was a really, like she was a human. I didn't treat her like a dog. She, I had conversations with her. I have conversations with these dogs. I use these dogs to chastise my wife for not putting her dishes in the dishwasher. I'll say, (laughs) girls, can you believe the dishwasher is empty and it's, there's dishes sitting beside the, the sink? I, I don't understand. <laughs> and then she'll respond and to the dogs, right? Like, I mean, they're a very integral part of how we manage conflict in this house. That's not a lie. You were always a little bit terrifying. I am. This is, <laughs> I mean, like I, I am who I am. Right. But, you know, what's great is, you know, we we spend a lot of time um, reflecting. We we do a really great pick, like job of documenting mm-hmm. the, the life and times of these little animals because they are so meaningful to us and because they bring us so much joy. I mean, these dogs have us so well trained and they have a really unique relationship with each one of us. And I think that's the other component too, is that when we think about our grief process and losing um, our, our furry friends, it's understanding the gaps or the things that are going to be missing when they're gone. You know, I look at my mom who just turned 75, who, oh my gosh. So my, when my dad passed away, he has this little service dog Mm -hmm. and his little service dog, he's a multi poo. And he was adopted at four and a half months old. So he was just this little critter that nobody wanted. And his name is Hagrid. Yes. Little Hagrid. And my dad, when he got Hagrid, decided that he was going to teach him um, all of his service commands and that he was going to train him himself and become certified that way, that he wanted to do that. Great. I mean, he's a little old man, doesn't have a whole lot to do with his time. So he had the opportunity. And uh, it was funny when, not funny when my dad passed away, but I mean, when my dad passed away, what was funny was that the doctor said to my mom, you will be served very well from having Hagrid as your service dog to help you through this point of grief and also just to help you um, stay sharp and so on and so forth. And so she signed the letter to my mom and said, you can go ahead and take this dog and you now have permission to use him as a service dog. Awesome. So my mom phones me and she's very excited about this. And then she gets quiet on the phone and she says, but I have a problem. 
I said, what's the problem? She says, well, your father taught him all of his commands in dog mushing language. And I don't really understand what they are. <laughs> so I had to go and do some research and, and I had to teach her how to engage with this dog while they were out doing service wow. so that, you know, they, they weren't, you know, one way or the other being outside of the bounds of what their agreement was. So what's interesting though, is now Hagrid is getting up there in age. He's nine years old and, you know, our dogs do take on our energy and the purpose of how we choose to live. Like our dogs, our, our dog Liberty is the same age as Hagrid. I think she's maybe three months older than him, give or take. Um, but she is very, very, very puppy-like mm -hmm. and she's full of energy, but she also has little baby justice for all. Yes, that's why I said it. Yes, Their names are Liberty, Liberty and Justice for All. F-U-R-A-L-L, -L, not to be just one word. I love it. And so um, with Little Lady Liberty, what we have is we have an old dog who is actually learning new tricks because now this baby dog that has taken so much learning from her in terms of how we live our lives and how we behave is now teaching Liberty, oh, you actually can roll over and have your tummy scratched. Nikki wouldn't allow that. <clears throat> So Liberty never learned that. Mm -hmm. So we've got these new things that are going back and forth. And so, you know, but when I look at my mom's dog, Hagrid, she's staring down the barrel of a nine-year-old dog who has diabetes and three teeth. And he's just a little old man because he's been raised by a little old man. Right. And so preparing her for what that grief journey might look like is a hard thing because then it will be, you know, this is kind of twofold where we look at it of, you know, this is the last living piece that has the intimacy of her partner who she's lost. Mm -hmm. And so when he goes, it's not just losing him, but it's like, it's going to be like losing my dad again. Yeah. And that's going to be really hard. Right. Oh, I think my mom experienced that when our bear died. I never, I never really looked at it that way. I mean, she was, she was always so attached to bear after he died that the dog that came after bear was named little bear. And oh. then after little bear died, um, she got two Yorkshire puppies and, um, the girl was Missy bear and the boy was Pooh bear. So mm -hmm. she never lost that attachment to bear who was her attachment to my dad who died in 96. That's in wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that with me and blowing my mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful when we have those associations and when we are able to really immortalize, I think is really what we do. And, and when it comes to our grief process, I think that I remember, I would say to my dad, you know, man, I remember the first time my daughter walked away uh, on her own to walk to a sleepover and I'm watching her walk away. And my dad's done this like four times and I phoned him up and I was weepy. And I said to him, how did you do this so many times? Like, how did you let go? Cause it's hard. Mm -hmm. And, and, and he says to me, he says, baby cakes, you just got to feel it to heal it. Yeah. And, and we, in, in particularly in North American culture, we are not good with, sitting with our emotions and allowing ourselves to feel the things that we should be feeling to tease them out and ask ourselves why we're feeling them or giving ourselves the time and maybe binding ourselves to that time to feel them. And, um, you know, 
I know with, with the loss of Nikki, it was really, really hard for me because of the things that we had gone through and because of the relationships we'd seen kind of come and go. And, um, you know, we had 13 years of history mm-hmm. together, you know, that's a lot, especially yeah. when, you know, Nikki helped heal broken hearts yep. and, you know, loneliness and, you know, Shep did the same thing for me. And I, you know, eight years later, I will still cry over that damn dog. Absolutely. And, you know, we, um, there's a song, I don't even know what song it is, but if it comes on to any one of our, any one of our um, music channels or anything like that, Ruth will turn it off in the snap of a finger because it just makes her think of the dog that much. We are seven, eight years removed from this dog passing away. And when that song comes on, it has to be turned off immediately. One of the things I'm learning through my own grief journey since my mother dying in January and becoming a grief coach to help pet photographers provide better support to their clients who are in anticipatory grief stages. I've noticed that I am terrible at coaching myself. I can know all of the things and I can sit with you and and give you some ideas to help heal. But in the moments that the grief waves hit me, I cannot do it for myself. Do you ever experience that in, in confronting the change that happens with grief and death and, or, you know, do you have a process in place that you can, that you can manage your own feelings? Mm -hmm. I do. Uh, You know, a lot of that, I I write a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I keep journals, uh, something that I do religiously and, um, it's not always like, you know, full page entries. Um, but when I lost my father, I really turned to, um, writing. It really helped me do a daily journal. A friend of mine actually dropped this book off and it had like a, a daily summary of kind of like, what did I do today? What did I learn today? And so I use that for reflection. And I find that in grief, you know, again, I always come back. I hear my dad's voice again and again and again, you got to feel it to heal it. And I think that, sitting with the emotion and being motionless with it and allowing it to hurt, I think is really powerful. And pulling that pain in and pulling those memories in and feeling gratitude from not just the ability to feel it and acknowledge it and not numb it, I think is a really powerful thing, especially in our times now. I mean, we have people who are addicted to all sorts of things to fix those things that they feel they need to in their brains. When really what it is, is we just need to be okay, not being okay. Mm -hmm. Right. It's when we hit that precipice and we cross over that threshold of I'm not okay consistently for time that's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's all, it's all personal, right? What's reasonable to you might not be reasonable to me and vice versa. Right. I mean, I was home a couple of weeks ago, And I was helping my mom go through some of my dad's belongings. And I know you've had similar journeys to that effect. And, oh my God, I I, got to be honest with you. I've come home and I'm like, I just want to throw everything in a dumpster now. I don't, I don't want to put my children through that. Right. And, um, 
I, I, like my dad collected so much stuff, like little known fact, I was a ventriloquist when I was younger and um, my father saved my puppet. And so my mother made me take it back. <laughs> also, I came home with the biggest um, velvet painted clown. Yes. Like it, it's a clown on velvet, painted on velvet. It's hanging over the guest bed in my basement in my I gym right never now. Never staying in your guest bedroom again. No, nope. <laughs> Huge. I'll send you a picture. Um, but you know, it's. I, I I looked at that process and I I went through it and it was almost as if I was in a container where nothing could penetrate. I use visual visualization a lot when I'm about to go and do something, when I'm about to be um, party to something, when I'm being expected to produce something and I'm feeling that grief or I'm feeling um, soft. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's almost like, you know, in Beauty and the Beast, that glass can, encasement that they put over the rose. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that uh-huh. is what I visualize. And it's like, okay, in the moment when I actually have to produce, or I have to do something, or I have to um, be a part of something, I visualize myself being impenetrable that nothing can get to me because I have to do something. I have to be the strong one right now. Mm-hmm. So I go and I do that. But then when I come away from that, I mean, I was at, I think it was two weeks. I was home dealing with these belongings and going through things and, you know, oh my gosh, we found a picture of my dog from when I was like, like 10, his name was Pogo. He was so sweet and he was my dad's best friend. And I remember when my dad had to put him down, how devastating that was. And so that brought a whole host of emotions back because there's, there's history and stories with that, right? That was, he had to put that dog down right before Christmas because he had gone blind and somebody came into the house and he bit them um, because they didn't announce themselves. And so my dad had a Christmas where neither of us kids came home. His dog had been put down. So he canceled his Christmas party and was like, I'm not even going to put my tree up. I just don't feel it. And I was like, no, no, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I made him put his tree up and I phoned him at midnight and I listened to him open his Christmas gift so that we were there. And I said to myself, he'll never be alone again. Right. So it's like these emotions and these things are coming at me and it's like, okay, I've got to be strong because my mom is having the hard time here. And I'm sending pictures to my sisters who we've not celebrated my dad's life yet because this all happened during COVID. And so, you know, I'm the one that people are leaning into and they're leaning on my glass case and I'm in this glass case and I can feel it coming in and out, in and out, in and out. When I went downstairs, I think I was on night 13 being there and I had this giant piece of rose quartz that was my dad's that my mom gave to me. And I just held it to my cheek and I just sobbed. And I didn't think about anything. I wasn't forcing it. I just let the tears fall. And I just invited that grief to come out. I just invited those emotions to happen. And I pulled the the pride of enabling those emotions into myself as part of that empowerment of feeling grief feels like crap, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's okay. It's right. And it's necessary. I can't carry that with me every day, all day. It will make me a bitter, angry, hostile person to be around. And that is not who a, my dad taught me and raised me to be. And I'll tell you for sure. That's not who my dog knows I am. Right. And, and so I, I think about that stuff is what are the lessons that 
the departed left with me? What did they expect of me? Would Nikki have wanted me not to get out of bed and not feed Liberty? No, Nikki would have been batting her dish around the kitchen if I wasn't up by 8 a.m. with kibble in the dish. So what do I do? I get up and I do what my dog would have wanted me to do. And it sounds silly when you think about it from like the, the big global like thinking process of it all. But at the end of the day, we learn lessons and we're taught these beautiful things from these people and these critters. And it's their legacy lives in us, in our actions and what we choose to do and how we chose to show up. And so that is what I lean into. Yes, the grief hurts. It sucks. I hate that they're gone. I hate it because they were my, my closest confidants, mm -hmm. my best people, the ones I could rely on 100% of the time. But the memories and the stories we have of our dogs, our dads, our moms, they make us who we are. And we carry that with us as we move forward and, mm -hmm. and turn our lives without them into something that matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, when I think about the, the upbringing that I had, and I think about some of the, the life um, events and traumas that I experienced as a very young human on this earth, the thing, like, I remember you know, my dad had recovered us away from, you know, our mother abandoning us on the couch of a hotel when I was like four. And we were very, very, very sick. And he came and he found us and he brought us home. And we had been in this tumultuous situation for two and a half weeks living in a hotel with two drunk alcoholics who were on whatever drugs they could get up their noses or down their throats. And they had decided, hey, these two kids are too much work. We don't want them anymore. Um, and phoned my dad and said, you want your kids back? Here they are. Come and get them. Wow. Hung up the phone, um, sat us on the couch of this hotel in the Yukon, and then drove down the Alaska Highway, literally left us there. Wow. And so he got us home and we were very sick. And he, um, he got us fed and nursed us back to health because that's what you do as an amazing human being. And uh, so a couple of weeks later, or you know, maybe about a week later, we're sitting at the kitchen table and my sister's six at the time. And she'd lived through the trauma and like the, the tumultuous time for two years longer than I had. And so she's sitting there and the topic of mom had left us and never coming back came up. And uh, so she's crying. And my dad says, I put my little fork down and I got up on my knuckles and I leaned across the table to her. And I said, you know what? She is gone and our dad's all we got. And that's just how it's going to be. And I sat back down and I grabbed my fork and I started eating again. Like that was it. Game over. That bitch is dead to me. Right? Like I'm four, <laughs> you know? And so we, we look at that and it's like, that's, that's a little bit of nature, I think, but it's also a lot of nurture and, you know, when we think about the lessons and the things that have been given to us by the people who've left our very best opportunity to honor them is to live into the things that they either taught us or believed us to be. And, you know, there's this really great line in a Macklemore song, and it is, um, I heard they say you die twice. The first time is when they put you in the ground. And the second time is the last time somebody utters your name. Oof. So as long as we continue the storytelling and we celebrate those times, we will forever 
have those people or those pets in our lives. And in preparing for the fact that we know that our furry companions leave us in half the time or even a quarter of the time that a normal human being does, we in our family, we prioritize making memories with our animals so that we always have a highlight reel to look back on, whether that's doing formal photography, which we've never done. Good luck trying to get those little shit rats to sit still. Um, yeah, <laughs> it could, I'll bring them to you. Um, <laughs> and, and the, the, the second though, and this is something that I have believed fundamentally my entire life. I have done it since I've owned a dog. We celebrate birthdays. Oh yes, absolutely. Tiaras, cakes, everything. Every year we do two every spring. We have one in February and one in April and we celebrate them every year. And, and, and we, we have those parties and we take pictures and we save them in our Snapchat reels. So we have those memories that pop up every single year with them looking entirely terrified of their little party hat and enjoying their pup cakes. And, you know, in preparation of grief, we celebrate while they're alive. Yeah. And that's, that's what we do. Uh, I, I am, I'm, I am always what I would classify as the second mouse. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And what I absolutely loved about the lessons that Nikki taught me was I had a ton of videos. I had a ton of photos. I have, I, I mean, I have pictures like when I met my wife, she moved in, she had a hamster, which was the funniest thing I think I've ever met. I was like, you really are very gay with your hamster. And, um, and that dog would stand and stare at this hamster and that hamster ran his ass to death. I'm not even kidding you because he would see this dog standing there and he'd get in his wheel and he would just run and run and run. I gotta get away. And it's like, you're not going anywhere. And one time I looked at Aaron and I was like, you need to grease his wheel, right? The She's like, no, you need to get your dog away from him. I'm like, no, this is her house and he is an intruder. Go grease the wheel, right? And so there she is with a Q-tip and like some <laughs> cooking oil, right? But it's, you know, it's those types of things where we know that the memories we create today are going to be the things that comfort us tomorrow. And I think that being proactive in how we choose to interact with and love our pets and live with them now, knowing that we won't have any regrets, right? Like I can remember when Nikki passed away, um, there was a time when I was going through a divorce and I was single parenting and it was 50 below in the Yukon and it would take me, like, I would have to get somebody who had a garage to come and pick me up and drive me to work. And so I was relying on the kindness of strangers because I couldn't get my vehicle to start. And if I could, my tires were like Flintstone tires because it was so cold, right? If you didn't have, you know, nitrous in, in your tires, they're just like squares. And I remember she was just so bad because I was coming and going so frequently because I couldn't afford oil. So I was doing heat, wood heat. So I was getting someone to drive me home so I could stoke my fire so my pipes wouldn't freeze. And then I was going back to work and then coming and going and coming and going. And that was really hard on her. And, you know, so she started doing things like messing in the house. And we were at heads constantly during that period of time of me trying to correct a behavior. I tried kenneling her. She thrashed to the point where she would like 
cut her nose. So I couldn't kennel her. I got a different type of kennel, a wire kennel, just thinking that maybe that would help. She would thrash to the point where she would collapse it. And then she would be really bad, you know? So I think about those times and I think to myself, you know, as a young pet owner, what could I have done different? How could I have served her better? And I don't want those types of memories with my current pets. And so I always tell people I wake up in service and that doesn't mean just to only two-legged. That is an incredible place to wrap it up. Kate, I know you are a busy human, so I am going to let you go, but I will tell you that I am planning a road trip to Calgary in September or October, and uh, you will get formal photography done with your dogs when that happens. Oh my gosh. They're going to love you. You're going to love them. Yes. Because you owe me a breakfast too. Because the last time I was there, we had to skip breakfast because of a snowstorm. Yes, that's right. All right, my love, go do the rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining us on, on, on One Last Network. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Kate and I dug into a whole lot of grief issues that I didn't have planned, including helping her child grieve the death of their dog, Nikki. And I just love how much she touched on storytelling and how keeping the memories alive keep our loved ones, from dogs to dads and moms, alive in our hearts. Kate is an incredible storyteller. She and I can sit and gab for hours. And it should come as no surprise she's a podcaster herself. Kate hosts Pocket Change for Helios Consulting, exploring personal growth, resilience, and leadership. You can find the links in the show notes. Among all the advice Kate gave us in this episode, I want you to remember most that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to grieve and miss our loved ones, especially our pets. I need the reminder myself every once in a while. I'm Angela Schneider, owner of Big White Dog Photography in Spokane, Washington, and your host at One Last Network, signing off to go get some Bella Snuggles. Listen to One Last Network on whichever podcast platform you prefer. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have a friend who might be interested in our content, make sure you share us with them. Thanks for listening.